You are listening to the Fur Road Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God and love people. For more information about Fur Road, visit furroadcc.org. That is F-I-R-R-O-A-D-C-C dot org. Now for this week's message. Um, a bunny. A bunny? Uh, a bunny. Uh, a bunny can you add the star? What? Add the star and we can get some candy. So the Easter story began with the, the Last Supper. During the Last Supper, Jesus took a loaf of bread, broke it, and said, This is my body, broken for you. And then he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood, it is poured out for you. The people ate and uh, drank the juice. Then after the Last Supper, they went up to Mount Olives to pray. Jesus asked his followers to watch over him, but they kept falling asleep. And then Judas went up and kissed Jesus. He had the sword and he got back to him. Watch, watch <coughs> him in the face. So, Peter um. cut the ear off. <laughs> Did Peter cut the ear off? <laughs> I think he cut his mouth off. <laughs> and then the soldiers took him. They put him in jail? <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Somebody said Jesus was in jail. <laughs> That's the funniest jail joke ever. <laughs> They beat him and spit on him and hit him. Hang, hang. Um, um, they hit him with nails and it probably really hurt. I, I, I don't, I don't even. I feel like I can't survive without a shock. And his friends were scared. They, went, they were sad. His friends took him down from the cross. They buried him in a tomb and rolled a big stone in front of it. In the tomb? Of doom. Of doom! He said we can say whatever. <laughs> Sunday, that was Good Friday. On Sunday, he rose from the dead. Then um, the angel came and unrolled the stone. One of the Marys. There's Mary Margaret, and then there's Mary's mother. One of them. The these ladies came and were trying to look for him. And instead of him finding him in the tube, they found an angel that said he's not here. And so they're like, where did he go? And then Mary saw somebody and she thought it was the gardener and she asked where the body went and it was actually jesus and then he told her that and she was like i can't believe it and ran to tell his followers jesus is alive jesus is alive That was that was awesome, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, ha- happy Easter! I'm I'm thrilled that we are all celebrating. 
the greatest moment in human history together this morning. I will admit, though, this Easter kind of snuck up on me a little bit, right? Like, it came up so fast, or it feels like it came up so fast, I'm a little bit afraid, like, it might just come and go without me giving it the amount of reflection that I feel like it, it really deserves. I've been so insanely busy for the past month with Dan being gone, with, with Katie being on her way out, that like sitting still and just writing out my thoughts for this morning has been a little bit of a struggle. And then uh, behind all that, there's, there's just been this, this stress. With, with every passing month, we're, um, we're, we're a little over a year now removed from when Janie and I lost our baby, and with every passing month, there's just this this stress, this anger, this frustration, this sadness, uh, that this still hasn't happened for us yet. And then my, my brother-in-law found out that his dad is terminally ill with cancer, and just all of these things uh, working, working behind me. Just You can ask Denise, right, how many times I begged her, hey, just, just make me sit still in my office and just, like, do this, right? It's been, she'll tell you how many times she had to uh, tell me, like, stop coming in here and distracting yourself. But anyway, uh, one thing I know for sure today, right now, Every single one of us in here has a story, one that is unique to you and that has led us here in this moment. And maybe your mom forced you to come or you lost a bet and that's why you're here, but your story goes a lot deeper than that, right? Every single one of us in here, we all have moments, we all have parts of our stories that we wish read differently. And we all have pain, we all have moments, whether caused by us or done to us, that we wish we could go back and do over or erase entirely. And somehow or another, your story has led you here right now. And it's Easter, which is supposed to be a big deal, but man, am I distracted, right? And the, the point of this morning, the, the goal that I had for this morning was for all of us to be able to experience the power of the resurrection in our own lives. The challenge for us this morning, though, is it is possible to have another Easter service have another church service or even an amazing time of community together and still miss that. Right? I know it's possible to, to go through church services, even Easter services, and miss the power of the resurrection in my own life because I spent the vast majority of my life doing that. Right? We talk about the power of the resurrection and the transformation that it can bring in church, but we don't spend a lot of time actually experiencing that. So, yes, I want today to be an incredible worship experience, and I want us to have fun celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And Chris has put a ton of time and extra effort into making sure this morning is fun. Right, but more than anything else, I hope that today starts a movement in your life. I don't hope that we just leave here and everything magically just feels better and works better. I know that's not how real life works. But I hope that today either starts or speeds up a movement in all of our lives towards Jesus. Right, if you are if you're here this morning and you're hurting or you're struggling, I hope you leave here today feeling encouraged, empowered, seen, and heard. And if you're in a good place, I hope this morning you feel compelled by the power of Christ to share the power of Christ, his hope, his healing, his purpose with people in your life who need it. All right, so let's just jump in and uh, start reading about what, what I'm trying to talk about this morning. I want to start in John chapter 14, a pretty typical place to start on Easter, right? says, do not let your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus speaking. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you may also be where I am. There it is, right? The hope of Easter. And this is what we always hear. Jesus died on the cross, was resurrected from the dead, ascends into heaven, and someday he's coming back. Right? That's, that's awesome. That's the hope of Easter. This conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples happened right before what we've been celebrating all weekend long. Right? And this is what we are accustomed to hearing on Easter. Jesus died, he rose again, he ascended to heaven, and someday he's coming back to get his people. This is our typical takeaway from Easter. Jesus is alive, and someday is going to be great. And that's true. It is. That's amazing. I'm not trying to minimize that, but as awesome as that is, what if today we were able to take away more hope about anything and everything we're facing in our lives and stories right now, too? So maybe instead of just rereading the story of the empty tomb, because I think the kids handled that just great for us already, I would like to just rewind the story back a little bit. I want to just briefly touch on three stories from Jesus' ministry that I think are really important to remember along with his resurrection and promise of eternal life. The first one is in John chapter 8. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Everything changes in this woman's life when she encounters Jesus. Right? To the, to the religious leaders, to all the church people of the day, we see this in that last verse. She was nothing more than a means to an end to get what they wanted, but not to Jesus. Uh, amidst all of the things that should have been distracting Jesus in this moment, the things that he should have been focusing on, like how to get himself out of the trouble that he was in right then, she is all that matters. It doesn't matter how she got to Jesus. I don't think, I'm assuming, it was not her choice to be uh, picking up and thrown at the feet of Jesus in the middle of adultering. I doubt that was her choice. Right? But that was the best place in the world that she could possibly be. As far as Jesus was concerned, she was the only one there. And he sat with her until everyone who was speaking against her left. And then he told her, I don't accuse you, but there is a better life for you. That thing that you're chasing, that thing that feels like love, I can give that to you and so much more. Uh, hold on to that for just a second. I want to jump over to Mark chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 46 says, then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. So throwing his cloak aside, he got up, jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. It is so significant, I think that Jesus asked Bartimaeus what he wants. 
as if that wasn't already an obvious question. And when Bartimaeus said, God, I want to see, Jesus did not say, oh, hold up, I can do you one better. I'm Jesus. Let me forgive your sins, and don't worry, you'll get to see someday in heaven. I really don't mean to minimize the hope in heaven peace, because sometimes in our broken world, that really is all we get to cling to, and that is the moment when everything is finally going to be perfect, but I also can't ignore the fact that often in Christianity, we have become so self-deprecating and so obsessed with the idea of sacrifice that we fail to realize the things that we're passionate about, the things we care about, the things that light our heart on fire, God put there himself with the intention of us to use them for his glory Jesus cared about the things that Bartimaeus cared about. And that gets illustrated even better in another story. Back over in John in chapter 11, this is right after Lazarus died. We sang a song about that earlier this morning already. When Mary reached the place where Jesus had saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Doesn't this story seem a little bit odd? Especially if you've heard the whole thing before, because right, right before this scene, Jesus already told his disciples, oh, Lazarus died already, but like, don't worry about it, I'm going to go raise him from the dead, it's really not a big deal. Uh, and right before that, when a woman was telling him that Lazarus was sick, he's like, hey, relax, just have faith in me, he's going to live. And then right after, right after this scene, we see him go and raise Lazarus from the dead. There was no question in Jesus' mind what was about to happen. But upon the sight of people he knew and loved mourning, he was moved to tears. It didn't matter that he knew the end of the story was going to be happy. Jesus wept anyway. His knowledge of what was going to happen didn't lead him to belittle their current pain. Even more so, he felt that pain alongside with them. He empathized with them. One thing I know for sure today, right now. Every single one of us in here has a story, one that's unique to you, that has brought you here in this moment. We all have parts of our stories that we wish read differently. We all have pain in our stories, whether caused by us or done to us, that we wish, moments that we wish we could go back and do over or erase entirely, and all of these stories have led us here in this moment. I want to share just briefly a couple of stories from people in this church. Uh, I, I don't have a chance to tell their entire story. We don't even get to scratch the surface in this video, but can we take just a minute and watch these together? Hi, I'm Nathan. I'm the guy with the shorts. So um, most of you know that I actually was raised in a pretty rough situation. My home life was less than ideal. Um, I was sexually abused when I was about three or four by a babysitter. Shortly after we got married, um, we got a phone call. Well, I got a phone call that um, my brother had a kid uh, who who, uh, uh, tested positive for methamphetamines and marijuana. My mom got married to my stepdad and his stepson, his 
Sometimes our stepbrothers had sexually assaulted us. I was four, and it ended when I was eight. She was three, and it ended when she was seven. And throughout that entire time, we never told anybody because we were scared of what was going to happen to us. I still remember we talked about, at that point, like, adopting her. Like, you know, that was something that Mona had experienced and knew, like, how good that could be. And I, I'll never forget, I went into my academic advisor, uh, who, um, um, and I was just talking to him about it. And this is, like, August, September um, of 2006. Like, we just got married in June. Um, and so he told me it was a horrible idea and I shouldn't do it. Um, and so we didn't. They definitely changed like how I think of guys because thinking that they genuinely loved me as their little sister comes to find out they just didn't. They wanted me for another reason. Just makes me think like, are they doing this? Do they want me for the same reason? Are they going to do the same thing? My dad also was very emotionally, physically, and verbally abusive to us growing up. When we were kids, we were not allowed to go outside of the house. I'm surprised we were allowed to go to school. My mom wasn't allowed to have friends. Our stepdad, he was verbally abusive, especially to Victoria. Even when she was a little twig, when she was in wrestling, he would call her fat, say she doesn't need extra food because she was hungry. During that time, uh, Mona got pregnant and we had a miscarriage. Um, we got so excited and then just about as quickly as it came, it went. And um, I remember being home when, by myself, when the baby passed. I um, young, scared to death. I didn't know what to do. In fifth grade, after my mom and my stepdad split up, yeah, my stepdad was a jerk, but that was my dad. I grew up with that as my dad. And splitting up, losing your dad, it's really hard, especially in the fifth grade. You're starting, you start to change. Emotions are flying, hormones are everywhere, and then your life comes crashing down around you. For me, that season was about not being fair. I remember that was a, a major refrain. Like, it, it wasn't fair that my brother got to have a kid who he wasn't going to take care of. And then we couldn't. And that's not fair. It's not right. You just don't understand in the moment what what the whole point of that was. Um, and, and it was very frustrating. Um, and so that propelled our desire to grow our family right away. Um, that loss just it left such a emptiness and a hunger for, you know, what could be for our family. And so Emory came shortly after in 2008. Starting in eighth grade when I started battling addiction. And addiction is what got me into most of my trouble throughout my entire life. He called me for something. I'm not actually sure why. He was really upset that I wasn't moving in with him to take care of him. And he called me and um, basically told me that he didn't love me, that I was no longer his daughter, um, that I was dead to him, and that I could just move on with my life. And mm -hmm. everything was starting to like smooth out, and we were finally starting to get a rhythm again. And then I got a phone call. Um, I was at work, 
Um, and I got a call from the state of Iowa, um, and uh, they asked me if I wanted to adopt my nieces. There was nobody on either side of the family that could qualify, that they were going to terminate my brother's rights, they were going to terminate his girlfriend's rights, um, and they need somebody to take these kids. There was not going to be a day that goes by that someone was related to, whether by blood or marriage, would think that we didn't love them enough or didn't want to sacrifice on their behalf. And so in my mind, it was, there's no question, we were in. And that, that really set the tone for me moving into college. I, um, I spent a lot of time really afraid of getting close to people. Um, my first semester was really rough. I made no friends. Um, I cried myself to sleep all the time. Um, I just, I wasn't letting anyone close. I remember just begging my mom to have me come home because I couldn't do it. So the problem became, um, we were a small family with a single income with two children, barely making it. Um, and faith is wonderful until you have to put it against reality sometimes. And um, so my biggest struggle and one of the biggest things that we had to overcome was financial. And you know, everybody has those moments where you know where you need to go, but you have no clue how you're going to get there. And in that moment for us, the answer lied within our church family. We were at our foster parenting classes, and while we were there, our church broke into our house and they brought beds, they brought dressers, they brought clothes, blankets, gift cards, gift cards, like, um, everything. everything. We came home and the room was set. Um, and but not just their room, they also did stuff for yeah. Emory and Kendall's room too. Yeah. It was just that that reminder in that moment, like that God was like, I got you, I hear you, I see you. Um, and it was, it was pretty awesome. So a few months back, I had attempted to overdose. I was being told by multiple, multiple people that I was a failure, I was a letdown, I should end my life. Um, so Haley and Chastity came to live with us uh, because we knew that that was what needed to happen. And like, that's when we met the girls actually, um, and actually hung out with them was going to court and um, have to sit through all of the the trauma and the mess that they had been through. Um, and I mean, you're talking about a five and three-year-old at the time. I mean, just the stuff that they had to experience um, that nobody should ever have to go through. They had lived an entire life um, in trauma and pain. And my, my brain just kept telling myself, they're right. But right, you gotta do this, man. It's either you do it or you continue to prove their point that you already failed. You can't do what you're told. You can't follow directions. You can't get good grades. Nothing about you is right. You already failed. The the one thing that they don't um, warn you about in foster well, they warn you, but they don't prepare you for um, the emotional fallout that is gonna happen when children are ripped out of a home. We're in some really hard times. Um, for sure over the last several years um, all of us have been touched differently um, by you know what our family's experiencing been in and out of the hospital high blood pressure uh, you know, 
panic attacks and um, the, the kids, you know, anxiety and stress and, and it's, it's so dark. It can get so dark. I spend a lot of time afraid to even talk to guys. Um, I'd hide in my dorm room. Uh, I had a guy ask me out for coffee one time and I just booked it into my room and didn't leave for a couple of days. I think one of the hardest, most beautiful things, <laughs> isn't it funny how beautiful things are also really hard things, um, as a parent is to just get to the point where you have to lay your kids at the feet of Jesus and you have to trust that he loves them more than you do. And that's such a hard thing for me to understand because I love my kids more than life. Um, and you're sitting here trying to get them to see how good God is, how good life can be, and you don't believe what you're saying sometimes. <laughs> it was my first mission trip, and I was in high school, and our leader, um, his name is Jacob, and uh, somebody in our group had to pee, and he just pulled off into a gas station to let her go, and she had to go quite a few times on that trip, and he was patient and kind and didn't yell at them and just let them go to the bathroom. Um, and I just, it kind of clicked in my head in that instant, even in high school, that something about my dad wasn't right. Something about the way I was raised just wasn't okay. And the frustrating thing um, about the whole thing is God clearly lights a path. Uh, clearly, there was no doubt that we did the right thing when we did it. Mm. And I think the the hardest part is when we expect God to show up in the same ways. Yeah. Because we know it's possible. Mm -hmm. But where is he? You know, it it those questions they're here. We live in the, the questions. You know, where are you? Why'd you leave it there? You know, my heart breaks hearing those stories, and the really hard part about it is I know they aren't alone in here this morning. And I know it's Easter, I'm supposed to be happy, and this is supposed to be a positive and uplifting service, but unfortunately, the calendar isn't what dictates the season of life that I'm in. And it, here's a question. Where are you most hopeless in your life and story this Easter? Or who do you know that might be in a situation like that? Because we're here to celebrate a king that was willing to do what no other king would ever do. He was willing to lay down his life for us in the worst way possible. And right when he did that, his disciples, the guys that he had been training up for three years, they scattered. They, they thought it was game over, dead, hopeless, impossible. They ran away. They denied that they ever even knew him. They lied to a middle school-aged girl they were so afraid. <laughs> and that was Friday. Then Saturday came, and nothing was different. Silent, dead, hopeless, impossible. And then Jesus resurrected from the dead. And I don't believe that because the Bible says so. Well, that too. But uh, these same guys they say they saw him again. 
they say they saw a dead man walking and their lives completely changed course. These same guys that ran away afraid suddenly were willing to face brutality and death themselves rather than deny the power of Jesus in their lives. But how, how do we make that shift? How do we get there? Because I want to celebrate and I want to experience this power and this transformation in my life. But some of us, our hearts just aren't there right now. I'm sitting here distracted. How can we make that same shift that the disciples did? That's why I wanted to briefly walk through some of Jesus' ministry this morning. His time on earth, his ministry on earth of healing people proves that this life, this physical world, it still matters to God. The bodily resurrection of Jesus proves that this life still matters to God. Yes, we have hope for our future in heaven, and that is so amazing. But if all God wanted for us was to have hope in heaven, Jesus didn't have to resurrect from the dead. You don't, you don't need a bodily resurrection from that. He could have just shown us Jesus. He, shown as Jesus risen at the right hand of God in heaven. The bodily resurrection of Jesus proves that this life creation still matters to God. Just like the woman that was caught in her worst moment of life, God only sees you right now. It's as if no one else is even here. It doesn't matter why you came or how you got here or what you were even doing five minutes ago. Jesus wants your heart. He is relentlessly pursuing you and will disregard every single person that speaks against you. I don't care if you were picked up and hurled at the feet of Jesus this morning. This really is the best place that you could possibly be. And if you're here and you're struggling, if you are resigned to complacency, given up on the desires and dreams of your heart, just accepting, I guess this is just what life is going to be like for me. Remember that Jesus went after Bartimaeus's desires The things that you care about, the things that light your heart on fire, that give you passion, God put there himself on purpose. God wants to restore passion in your life. He wants you to lead a powerful and a purposeful life. Christians were never meant to follow Jesus by being sad and boring. But if you are hurting, if you are struggling, if you are caught up, entangled in hurt, either caused by you or done to you, Jesus is here to weep alongside you. It doesn't matter that he knows the end of your story. We don't have to put a fake smile on and just sing happy on my way to heaven. Jesus wants to grieve with us. He cares about the things that we care about because they matter. The bodily resurrection of Jesus proves that this life still matters to God. Jesus' whole ministry proves that this life still matters to God. So what if this Easter we took away more than just hope for our future, that too, but what if we took away Also, hope and healing for whatever we're facing today. I have one simple question that I want us all to go home with, and it's wrapped up in this promise that we receive in Ephesians chapter 1. If you start in verse 18, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also the one to come. This is the promise that when we face the dead, impossible moments in our lives, the resurrection power of Jesus lives inside of us. 
we have inside of us the power to make the dead and hopeless things that we see around us come back to life. This is usually manifested in us bringing this hope and healing and, and purpose and power to people that we know that need it, not doing it for ourselves. This usually works in community. But let me leave you with this question that I don't really intend to answer. How is the power of the resurrection going to manifest itself in your life? We have a responsibility as new creations in Christ to make this place a little bit more like heaven for people. To bring the hope and healing of Christ wherever we go. Does God want us to walk out of here today with hope for our future in heaven? Yes, absolutely so much so. I want to celebrate and worship that because sometimes in our broken world that really is all that we get to cling to and that is the only time then everything is going to be perfect again. But God also wants us to experience healing from our past. And he also wants us to have purpose for our life right now, that purpose of bringing the power of the resurrection to the death and hopelessness that we see all around us. I believe in the power of the resurrection in my life because I have seen it happen. I don't just believe in the power of Jesus to heal brokenness because of his ministry and because of his resurrection from the dead 2,000 years ago, but because I've seen it happen in my own life. So when I'm in the middle of a really difficult time, I can look back at the times in my own life and in the lives of people around me that I have seen that God has always been faithful. So I can be confident he always will be. I want to have a little bit more of a celebratory atmosphere for communion this morning than than we typically do, which I think is a good thing. So uh, uh, the band's going to come back on here. And um, in just a minute, we're going to play through three more songs. Uh, as soon as they start, start playing, feel free to come up and, and grab your communion. They're set at three different tables around the room. Um, the bread is in, in a cup underneath the juice. Just feel free to grab it. Take it back to your seat. And just feel free to take that whenever you feel led this morning throughout the remainder of our time. Uh, we aren't going to have a, a, a moment of silence to, to s- quietly reflect on our sins like we usually do. Instead, today, can we just corporately, loudly celebrate the fact that Jesus has overcome death. I don't care if you want to stand, if you need to sit, if you want to do a little dance in the middle of the aisle while people look at you somewhat judgmentally because that's not really a normal thing that happens here. I don't care how you, how you want to express yourself with the remainder of our time because what we are celebrating today is a resurrected king that sees you, hears you, knows you that weeps with you, that wants to fill your life with passion, that wants to give you hope for your future, healing from your past, and purpose for your life right now. A king that stared crucifixion in the face and said, yeah, this is going to suck, but I'm willing to do it because I love them. I love them at their worst, and I love them at their best. Thank you. I I love them... I love them when they're excited. I love them when they're encouraging. I love them when they're sad, when they're hurting, when they're addicted. And I want to prove to them that I can win over sin and death. We're celebrating a king that has never lost a battle and never will. A king who resurrected from the dead and now stands alongside us and fights our battles for us. Can we please let this power manifest itself in our lives? Will you please stand as we continue to worship our resurrected king through music, through sharing stories, and through communion?
after that situation, I came down here and I was talking to Jordan about what happened and we had a heart-to-heart -heart conversation. And that hit me, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I don't think I've ever talked to somebody about something like that so seriously. Something felt so good about it. I'm not gonna lie, I've never had a vocal representation from God. But something about this situation makes me think God has reached out and he's helped me. God has shown up in so many big ways throughout our marriage, throughout our life. Um, that That's what propels me through the the struggle. And then I moved here to Fur Road and the Ellisons uh, had me over for lunch and uh, they never stopped having me over. And through the years, we've kind of joked that they've become my family um, and they, they've played a big role in learning what a Christian household looks like. Um, Brandon's played a pretty big role in showing me how like a father is supposed to treat a kid even if he isn't really my dad and um, he's just always there because family is the closest to heaven you get like, like that's the picture Jesus created for us to see you know how much he loves and how sacrificial he is that's why family was created I know if I need something there's always people here because every time I'm like doubting myself I know God will always be there to listen, boosts me up and tells me that I'm more than what I think I am. And he cares so much about what you're struggling with and what you're going through and he cares about it because it matters, because it's shaping and getting you ready for this eternal relationship. Um, it took a really long time and a lot of prayer and a lot of persistence and a lot of other people um, also speaking into my life to realize that I could trust God, that I could let him play that role, that father role, um, that I could go to him with things, that um, there was safety in him. But coming out here with people that genuinely care about me has definitely helped me realize that life has a purpose and God has you on earth for a reason. So um, the good thing is now I have a bunch of friendships with guys. I've got an awesome uh, like stand and father figure. I um, don't run away from dates anymore. And I get to go work at a child advocacy center where I can help kids that uh, were abused and neglected and went through some situations like I did as a kid. What we do know, um, even in the mess, is that God made a promise. God set up all these pieces clear back in 2006 for us to bring these kids into our home, even if that hope and that promise isn't for tomorrow, that it's for someday.